from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium and welcome to The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. You know, if this was the Jerry Lewis telethon, this is where I'd be asking for some timpani because we've got a new affiliate, WPAM. 1450 in Pottsville, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much to WPAM 1450 for making the Conspiracy Show part of your weekly programming schedule. And I love the fact that WPAM is a classic rock station on AM radio. I love it. You know, I love my geezer rock. So I'm very proud, uh, thrilled uh, to be part of WPAM 1450 Pottsville. The mighty Aphrodite found this incredible story about a dog, and she was telling me about it last night, and I've asked her to tweet it, at Richard Serrett. There's a video, and it's a dog, and he's on a dock. I guess someone has just landed some fish. I don't know what kind of fish they are. There's maybe three or four fish on the dock, and their gills are moving, so they're still alive, barely, uh, but they're no longer flopping around. And all around the fish are, are puddles of water, as you can imagine. Now get this. This little mutt is running around trying desperately to move the fish closer to the puddles. He's trying to splash water in the direction of the fish so that the dog knows the fish are in trouble and they need to get back in the water. And one of the fish stops moving its gills, so it's gone. So the dog moves on to the next fish and tries to save it. This poor little dog seems to be beside itself. It doesn't know what to do, but it appears to know it appears to care about these other living things. I don't know, maybe I'm engaging in a little anthropomorphism. That's ascribing human qualities to animals, for those of you whose Roger is across the room. But anyway, check out the story at at Richard Serrett. uh, The mighty Aphrodite has just given me the thumbs up that it has been tweeted. Uh, We're going to examine the uh, the life and times of the late alien abduction researcher, Dr. John Mack, uh, here shortly, Harvard professor of psychiatry, Pulitzer Prize-winning author. Mack caused quite a stir among his uh, fellow professors at Harvard back in the early 90s when he began, I guess, what what, be, uh, what uh, ended up being almost a 20-year study on the alien abduction phenomenon. And he risked his career and his reputation. In fact, the, the university went to great lengths to threaten him, to take away his tenure, to ruin him by destroying his reputation and character, and after a great deal of, of struggle and legal battles, he, he fought them back, barely surviving. And uh, there was no question at this point he was perceived as an even greater threat. He could have made a difference. He could have brought this subject matter into the mainstream. He could have presented this information in a manner that not even the scientific community could have refuted, some say. Dr. John Mack's character was honorable, solid, his credentials were impeccable, His life was a testimony to scientific integrity. He was ultimately subjected to a formal investigation at the university. He died in 2004 after being struck by a drunk driver in London, England. Now a filmmaker is planning to immortalize Mac's life in a Hollywood movie. Producer Denise David Williams is standing by. But first, just uh, let me remind you, season three of uh, the TV show, The Conspiracy Show, is now underway on Vision TV, Mondays at 10 p.m. Eastern. And this Monday night, episode two, 
Energy healing. Is it possible to heal people using subtle energy? Some call it faith healing. Our good friend Douglas James Cottrell is uh, featured in this episode. Anyway, you can join the debate at www.theconspiracyshow.com. Here's another good friend of The Conspiracy Show who's just plopped himself in the air chair opposite mine, Victor Vigiani, Executive Director of Zeland Communications. How are you, sir? I am just fine. Before we introduce Denise David Williams mm. into the mix here, why a movie about Dr. John Mack, ab- above and beyond what I've mentioned? Why do you think his contribution to the study of ETs, UFOs, consciousness is worthy of a Hollywood movie? He was sort of a pioneer in, in a very non-traditional sense. And I think what, what, he, he, what he did for the, uh, the UFO ET contact issue, he, first of all, he brought it out of the closet, out of the nuts and bolts closet, and I think he moved it into the realm of, of spirituality, into the level of consciousness that creates an understanding of what ET contact might be beyond the sighting of crass craft, you know, those things in the air uh, that we all kind of uh, read, read about in the paper and see in videos. He took it to a level way beyond the, the, the norm. And I think he brought people's experiences to the, to the, to the forefront that, that were just extremely bizarre. And he didn't understand them to begin with. And I think the whole idea behind him understanding these people were going through something uh, transformational, not just sighting a UFO or, or seeing an alien, but actually going through transformational uh, change within themselves, uh, within their consciousness and even their subconsciousness. I think he was the first one to try to, to make sense of all of that. And I think that if if this movie can do that, if they can if they can show that he, that John did this, I think that it will be a success. But I think that's that's why I think the movie should be made. Uh, there's lots to this man. Um, he he was a great athlete to begin with. Uh, he had some physical problems that he couldn't play anymore, so he, he could have he could have been a number of things. Um, but he chose this whole psychiatry um, field, and then he got into it by literally tripping over it. That whole, when you say get into it, you mean the alien abduction? That's phenomenon. correct. Because yeah. he wasn't a believer. No, not at all. Didn't have an interest in this no. field until he started this study with what? I think there were about 200 men and women involved That's in this right. study of these mm-hmm. repetitive alien encounters. He didn't know what to make of it to begin with, but the more he, the more he, he delved into it, he began to realize that these people were going through something very, very real. He didn't know exactly what it was, and I, I would imagine that um, uh, you know if we had him sitting in the chair next to us right now, he'd probably say, "I, I still don't know exactly." What it is. You met him? Yes, um, yes, in his Harvard office for two days. Um, I, right in front of me, I have his book, Abductions. That's copy kind of, of the Bible, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, his published in '94, I believe it was. And I spent some time with him in his in his Harvard office for two days uh, near Boston, Cambridge, and we were talking about uh, many different things that. Uh, that had to do with not just the abduction phenomenon, but more specifically about the the, the, the child aspects that to do with children, um, young children who have been through this kind of thing. Because I'd contacted him uh, several months beforehand, and because I had run into some experiences myself with children as an educator. Yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah, uh, uh, so that we talked at, at length about that. And uh, he gave me a lot of guidance as to how to handle not just with children but with abductees themselves. So, uh, and absolutely, uh, the strength of this man—you could feel it as soon as you walked in the room. It was just captivating. All right. Well, let's. Uh, I'm told we're having uh, some phone problems, so we're gonna we're gonna uh, 
throw caution to the winds here and, and try this out. Okay. We're gonna uh, we're gonna welcome D- Denise David Williams to the program. She began her career as an actor's agent in New York City. Shortly after, she moved to L.A. and attended the graduate Peter Stark producing program at USC. She then began her production experience in the film industry at Lucasfilm as an assistant in pre-production on E.T. and Raiders of the Lost Ark. She advanced to story analyst for Barry Cross at the movie company, where she was responsible for developing television material for management clients and held production responsibilities on American Dreamer. She then worked as director of creative affairs for Arkoff International Pictures, where she acquired and developed feature material for both Samuel Arkoff and Louis Arkoff. Denise then hired was then hired by Daniel Melnick's indie prod company at 20th Century Fox as story editor, where she worked with writers and directors, including Robert Zemeckis, Barry Henry, Lawrence Kasdan, and then Ms. Williams formed her own production company, Make Magic Productions, whose mission is to produce highly entertaining films with global appeal. In 2002, Make Magic produced the industry hit My Dinner with Ovitz, which Variety called Charming, and Universal Chief Ron Meyer and David Geffen called Brilliant. Denise David Williams, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Is it working? We are trying to lock her in here and not having much success at the moment. We've had uh, some uh, some snafus with the phone lines here. Anyway, my crack producer, Tim Spreen, will uh, continue to work on that, and we'll get her on the air here in just a moment. Denise David Williams standing by from Make Magic Films. Uh, we're talking about Dr. John Mack, the late mm-hmm. Dr. John Mack, Harvard University professor of psychiatry, Pulitzer Prize-winning author, Victor Vigiani from Zealand uh, Communications in studio. Uh, so uh, take me back to your meeting with uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. John Mack in his office at Harvard. What's astounding to me was these studies were being conducted you know, while he was at Harvard, the hallowed halls of Harvard University. I mean, the, the blowback from the get-go must have been, must have been incredible. I mean, who's, who... Who sicked the dogs on him? Well, it's my understanding uh, through his legal counsel that um, he wasn't given any straight answers to begin with uh, in the meeting that he had with the board of directors uh, of the, of the um, I guess, the, of psychiatry, the head of psychiatry. And he was the head of psychiatry, but they, they chose to um, have a meeting with him and his, and his legal counsel. And the question was asked, who's, who's calling the question on, on the kinds of research that uh, Dr. Mack is able to do? And they didn't give him an answer uh, initially. They, they were just sort of stone-faced. It was just a silence. And uh, later on, uh, John found out that it was Time magazine that was asking questions about the relative um, appropriateness of, uh, of someone of, 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 of Max Caliber associated with uh, you know, Harvard University talking about aliens and abductions and UFOs and all of that. That's a legitimate question as far as it goes. But if, if they start to – I mean, was Time magazine's publishers demanding that he be investigated? They were just asking questions. That's, the, that's my understanding. They just asked uh, the board of governors, whoever the, these people were in charge of uh, sort of calling the question on John, um, they, they, didn't, they didn't like some of the work that Harvard was doing. So they had a, a, you know, they exerted a tremendous amount of pressure as being a, a huge organization, and they felt it was within their realm to, uh, to call the question on John. And uh, whether or not they were legally I- involved in demanding that the, the John give up this research, I don't know. Was he conducting the research on the grounds of Harvard oh, University? Oh, of course, yeah. He, he saw people in his, in his Harvard office. Yes. And he published 
He published on it. He published right. papers. Of course, yes. Peer-reviewed he, articles. That's correct, yep. And he kept on doing it. And uh, he eventually, he eventually uh, knew and found out that he was striking a very serious nerve, and that's when they, they, they called the question on him. And eventually he was exonerated, and the board um, said he can pursue whatever direction in this research that he, that he wanted to, which, you know allowed him to go on. Uh, we're coming up on a break here. When we come back, hopefully we can uh, connect with Denise David Williams, just uh, having some issues with our telephone lines here. But uh, Tim in the other room is working feverishly on resolving that. If uh, if we can get Denise David Williams on the line, great. We'll talk about her, her efforts uh, to immortalize the late Dr. John Mack in a Hollywood epic. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show here. Stay with us. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Uh, welcome back. Victor Vigiani is here in studio, the executive director of Zeland Communications, and uh, joining us on the line, Denise David-Williams, filmmaker, uh, as we discuss the, uh, the late Dr. John Mack, alien abduction researcher from Harvard University. Denise David-Williams, are you there? I am. Ah, contact. Can yes, I can. Can you hear me? Yay. Wonderful. Yes. Hi, Richard. Hello, and welcome. Uh, say hello to Victor. Hey, Victor. Whoops, there we go. Victor? Great to talk, great to talk to you, Denise. Just great. Hi, Victor. Just give us a, a quick Reader's Digest version of, of uh, how you... Um, you're in pre-production on this film, I understand, or in the, in the preliminary stages, but how did, you, how did you decide that this might make a good movie, jo- Dr. John Mack? Well, uh, first of all, I want to commend Victor for the, the, the snapshot uh, story that you were giving, Victor, really mm-hmm. like excellent. Um, of course, you knew Dr. Mack. Um, to answer your question, Richard, it, it really found me. One day in 2007, my ear started ringing. It was kind of freaked me out. I didn't know what it was. I went to some doctors. They just shrugged and said, we can't help you. And then After a couple of months, I started to get an intuitive message telling me to go uh, to find a particular person, um, I mean, a a person who had a particular profession. I won't go into the details. And and anyway, I found this person in the back of a metaphysical bookstore where I live in Los Angeles. And when I sat down, she asked me what I did. I said I was a film producer. And she said she had been trying to get people's attention for for a year, ever since Dr. Mack had been killed. And she told me the story of John Mack. And it, like, just blew me away. And I knew it gave me goosebumps. I knew immediately that uh, it would be an incredible film for a lot of reasons. So, I uh, mean, and, and, and so that was the beginning. So you, you you sort of glossed over the the bit about the ringing in the ears. Are you are you telling us, uh, Denise, that you were an experiencer? Uh, no, no, not really. I mean, I've had many. Well, I've had many metaphysical experiences. That's very it, it's very natural to me. I don't know if that they're comparable to what Dr. Mack was studying, um, but but I'm highly intuitive. And when I say I heard a voice in my head, that comes very, I'm not crazy, that just comes very naturally to me to be connected to whatever it is that sort of guides us and gives us wisdom when we need it. And, and so I trusted that voice when it said, actually what it said to me was, find a medical intuitive. 
Interesting. That's what it said to me. Interesting. And so I said, huh, find a medical intuitive. And it would not leave me alone. I mean, it was very insistent. And I had a book on my shelf written by a kind of a very pretty well-known medical intuitive called Marilyn Mace, uh, Carolyn Mace. And I called her office, and they said she doesn't do that one-on-one, but here's the name of someone that, you know, does. We are not vouching for her. And that's the woman who I made the appointment with, and when I walked into the room within three minutes was sharing the story of John Mack with me. It's so almost unfolding I like this. I feel like I was called to that. I was, you know, called the story. It's almost unfolding like the Celestine prophecies where it's sort of one piece of serendipity followed by another, followed by another, and ultimately, you know, leading someplace. Uh, as, a, right. as, as, a, as a storyteller, as a filmmaker, what aspect of Dr. Mack's life is the most fascinating for you? Is it the alien abduction research? Is it this David and Goliath struggle of him versus Harvard University? It's both. Because they are interchangeable, and and that's and the conflict lies in Harvard, basically conducting a witch hunt against him, and uh, in my mind, really makes John Mack the perfect hero. You know, it's a hero's journey for for a protagonist for a film. So, um, it's we will begin when he starts his work around the early '90s with the with the abductees and follow through until his death. So, I mean, in addition to um, ensuring the legacy of John Mack's work, it's it's actually even bigger than John Mack. And John Mack was the first one to say that. He would say, this is not about me. And uh, he was a very humble man and a very compassionate man, but he also realized that what he was studying was a lot bigger than just you know, the head of psychiatry at Harvard. And what we're doing with the film is picking up the torch that he brought, you know, to a certain place and moving, carrying it forward. Why? Because in my opinion, this is the, the biggest story of our times. Because really what John Matt was addressing was what he was saying is, we're not alone in the universe. And it's time that we open up to that. And, you know, and be open to that because it's it's happening. So that's an even bigger purpose for this film. Let me get uh, Victor Vigiani in here. Excuse me, Denise. Go ahead, Victor. No, I just wanted to yeah. uh, just uh, take off on an idea that you've, you've just been talking about, and this being bigger yeah. than him, and, and that was quite clear in, in most of my discussions with him and everything that he yeah. wrote. He was always writing about other people, and he really put himself in the background, uh, although his, his views on it. He always described this as a battle over worldviews, and that was one of his key statements that he made uh, in most of his lectures, that this whole materialistic uh, scientific worldview versus the subtle realm that he that he tried to, the, the the doors to the subtle realm that he tried to open up um you know when in your mind the way you see this 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 movie or this story evolving um what's your starting point going to be like how will you you grab people to begin with what, what's the vision that you might have in, in mind as to how this whole thing i'm trying to you know picture it in my own mind on, on the screen what's your vision for that well you know I, we we don't even have a writer yet so mm-hmm. to it would be difficult to say how the story structurally will be presented. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. But I, we do have a story outline 
which is somewhat linear. It just takes the narrative from when he begins his work and when and 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 then when he's killed in 2004. So I don't really know yet, Victor. That's part of the development process. It'll be exciting and challenging and, uh, you know, important. It's the most important process mm-hmm. uh, is developing the script yeah. for John's story because, it, we, you know, we want it to be, we want it to do justice. not just to John, but to the subject matter. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting um, challenge because this, this, uh, you don't obviously, when you're making a Hollywood movie, uh, you don't want to preach to the choir. You have to spread your net far and wide. So how do you make this story accessible to people who who may not even contemplate the, the idea of, you know, whether we're alone in the universe, let, let alone, uh, you know, whether people are being uh, abducted by aliens and, and, and so forth. How do you how do you sell this story? Well, I, I think it's a no-brainer because truly there, everyone on the planet has an opinion about alien abduction, whether it's, oh, yeah, of course there are, there's other intelligent life, or, no, you got to be out of your mind to think that there is intelligent life. So right there you've got inherent controversy, which sells a movie, you know, on its own. But more specifically, when we create a character, the character of John Mack as a protagonist in the story, we need to believe that he believes. Because we're not going to try to win anybody over. We're not trying to proselytize and convince anybody of anything. But when they take the journey, when they take John Mack's journey and see how committed he became and how he went from being a left-brain, rationalistic, worldview kind of guy to becoming a heart-based, and these are his words, heart-based, intuitive, spiritual man, you can't help but just come out of the theater and go, wow, and think about it. And so that's, that's the power of the story, and it will really sell itself, in my opinion. I think what's, what, what you're describing is, initially, I think there's going to be some sort of uh, taste of normalcy as, as the whole thing unfolds, as the story unfolds, and that you'll have that sort of normal impetus as to what a you know, Harvard University uh, um, you know, doctor of psychiatry would be doing, and then all of a sudden, you're going to have to confront the idea of the most bizarre and the most presumptuous nature of this, of this topic, and the juxtaposition of those two ideas, those two worldviews, is going to be a, a rather a climactic part of the whole thing when he actually, you know, when the sort of the euphoria or the the discovery in his his mind is there is something going on here that we just must pay attention to. So the transition from the normal part of a movie or story into this new part must be a real challenge for you. Well, it's that's the creative process. That's what we do, and uh, you know, we will use all of our experience and our brains and our intuition and and resources. We have incredible resources. The Mack family has granted us access to all of Dr. Mack's personal archives, which has an unpublished autobiography that he wrote about the Harvard debacle. And we have been given permission by some of Dr. Mack's patients, some of his um, experiencers. we have access to their clinical sessions with Dr. Mack, which is incredible. So we have incredible resources, and uh, that's 
that's the challenge. Filmmaker Denise. Together. Sorry, filmmaker Denise David Williams uh, is with us, and uh, we're talking about a, a movie in the early uh, stages of development. It's uh, the life of the late Dr. John Mack, Harvard psychiatry professor, Pulitzer Prize uh, winning author, and uh, a man who conducted really some seminal research into alien abductions within the hallowed halls of Harvard University. Imagine conducting these scientific, clinically scientific clinical scientific studies uh, of the alien abduction phenomenon and you can imagine the blowback from his his peers they tried to uh, discredit him tried to uh, fire him uh, Victor Vigiani in studio from Zealand News Network uh, let me we're coming up in a break here in a few moments but let's get this this part of the discussion going anyway and then we can continue on the side and and uh, I'll throw this out to you Victor as well and I'll get Denise to chime in here I want I want to talk about Dr. Mack's work with children, because I understand that, you know, children were, were pivotal with him, I mean, and, and what they experienced. And, and, Victor, you were telling me about the, the aerial school in South Africa. I know as a school principal, you've had first, you know, first-hand experiences with, with potential child abductees. So let me start with you, Victor. Talk, talk to me about why children were so important to Dr. Mack's work? Well, I, I would imagine that the, that the experience that he had in the aerial school in South Africa was probably one of the, the most um, gut-wrenching for him in interviewing these children. Um, Denise might want to describe it, too, uh, when she uh, responds to your question. But going down there uh, with his staff and, um, first of all, having heard that, that some sort of craft landed outside the school in a schoolyard, and there were a number of children uh, who saw this thing land, and all the teachers were at a, a staff meeting at the time, so there were no teachers on yard supervision. It was a rather large yard, as, as you can imagine. Uh, there were some older students who were supervising this, uh, the, the other children, the, the really young ones, and uh, four or five of the young children actually saw a craft land, and um, beings get out of it, and then bounce around, not sort of walk around, that's almost like floating around, and the children actually move towards these, uh, these beings uh, in, in, within several meters of them and um, somehow receive telepathic messages from, um, from these beings. And that's, you know, I don't want to belabor uh, the whole story, but uh, after a while, they started telling these stories. And I think John found out about it. I'm not exactly sure how he did find out about it, but um, I know he did. And he interviewed these children, three or four of them. There's some great uh, audio uh, interviews of these children. And they all, each, each one of them individually spoke about telepathic communications about the state of the planet and that the planet was becoming too technologized or something like that that the children found out about and that they were ruining the earth and that we're, we need to repair the earth, we need to you know, make a, a, a better place to live and all of the children had the exact same message which is something that none of them had ever described before and I think that um, that kind of thing through the innocent eyes of a child it's very, very riveting. When you hear a child talk that authentically about an experience, children don't make up things like that. And uh, uh, they just don't. Even though they have vivid imaginations, this is far beyond anything they could ever um, you know, uh, confabulate. And I think John was taken by all of that. And in the interviews, as he speaks to each one of them, you can tell by the kinds of questions that he's asking, he is extremely intent on trying to figure out exactly what these children went through. Uh, Denise, will the aerial school... Of, uh, well, we're coming up on a break, but I'll get you to answer this when we come back, and whether the aerial school experience... Uh, and Dr. John Mack's interviews with these these children, these school children, whether that will 
feature uh, or loom large in your upcoming film on the late Dr. John Mack. Back with more of my conversation with filmmaker Denise David Williams and Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network here on the Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. The life and times. to test at this point is whether we can go deep enough into our uh, higher selves, if you will, our spiritual possibilities, our capacity for transcending enmity to address the real problems that we're facing in the world now. The nationalisms that have divided us, uh, they're obsolete in the current global context because the problems we're facing now, the environmental problems, acid rain, the health problems, the deterioration of the ozone uh, layer, the warming trend, these are vast problems that are causing the planet itself to die. So that's going to be the test that we're going to face and whether, and it's important that we uh, be able to bring our creativity to those problems and the, the whole militarization enmity structure has just consumed the, uh, the, the kinds of energies and imagination that we need to, to look at the problems that the world is facing all around us now. There you have it. Uh, that's the man of the hour, the uh, late Dr. John Mack, Harvard psychiatry professor, Pulitzer Prize winning author, and uh, the man who really did some of the seminal research into alien abductions. Uh, and he is, we hope, soon to be immortalized in film, uh, Denise David Williams is with us from Make Magic Productions, and she's hoping uh, to bring Dr. John Mack's uh, life to the big screen. And in studio, Victor Vigiani from Zealand Communications, who joins us here on the, communi- uh, the Conspiracy Show from time to time. And uh, Denise, before the break, I was asking uh, Victor about the aerial school incident uh, where these school children encountered or had some sort of uh, experience with the occupants of uh, this craft. Uh, is that going to is that a, going to be a, a significant um, you know part of the film? Is that going to be you know be featured in the film? It, we we will see that in the film. But first, I want to go back and address a question that you asked before the break about Dr. Mack's interest in children. He was initially trained as a child psychiatrist, and he wrote a book and did studies on the effect of nuclear testing on the, the trauma on children. Uh, uh, on nuclear war, and so it was a lifelong study for him. And and um, and as I said, he was trained as a. Initially, that's what he worked in as a child psychiatrist. So in in the story, in, he's in the midst of the Harvard trial, and he's they're really giving him a hell of a time, and he gets a call from BBC reporter Tim Leach asking for Dr. Mack, uh, asking this from, for a statement from Dr. Mack about the aerial school sighting, and he had, Dr. Mack, John didn't know what he was talking about. So Tim Leach filled him in, and John, happy to get out of Dodge, because, you know, Harvard was giving him such a hard time, jumped on a plane, didn't tell anybody, and went down to Zimbabwe. And uh, he was actually welcomed by the headmaster because the children were having nightmares, and the headmaster wanted John to make some sense of it. And then Victor was saying how uh, you can see some of the footage on Make Magic Productions' website or even on YouTube uh, of Dr. Mack talking individually to these uncoached children 
and the authenticity and sincerity is undeniable. And there were 62 of them in the schoolyard, and they simultaneously had a sighting. And as Victor was saying, they were the beings transmitted information to them telepathically. And um, so, yes, that will definitely be part of the story because, in a sense, it vindicated him when, you know, as he's experiencing the Harvard trial and here he's assisting these children who, uh, like I said, were so credible and sincere. Um, so it's a powerful juxtaposition, <clears throat> and it'll be in the film. There were approximately 200 men and women who were part of Dr. Mack's study uh, over the Well, uh... initially, oh, initially, initially okay. he saw, <clears throat> he saw, you know, about 200, but then... He traveled the world, and he studied other cultures. He met with African shaman and Australian aborigines, and and the stories, it blew his mind because they corroborated, they were saying, telling the same stories. He said on one of the talk shows, when you have an African bushman and a new upscale New England housewife telling the same story, we've got to take the conversation seriously. So by the time, you know, after four or five years of his study, he had he had met with hundreds of people and um, collected a lot of data, and some of that is in his book Abduction. And then when you see his last book called Passport to the Cosmos, you can see the transformation that he himself went through, because um, obviously that's important for for the character in the film that he also change and in. Indeed, he really did. I mean, the book is much more nuanced and complex. And he here, here's what Dr. Mack did that was different from people like Bud Hopkins and David Jacobs, who were also researchers. I mean, aside from John having incredible credentials and um, being highly esteemed in his field, he went from saying that the experiences were three-dimensional to coming to believe after several years that they were interdimensional. And that was a game changer. And that's, you know, I mean, Harvard had said to him, John, if only you had said you had discovered a new psychiatric syndrome, but you're asking us to redefine reality, which is what John Mack said. In order to truly understand these experiences, we have to change the paradigm by which we have believed in for so long, especially in Western culture. You know, we we are so locked into if we don't feel something or see something or touch something that it doesn't exist. And we're, you know, we're one of the last cultures on the planet to be so rigid in that thinking. And that's what John was challenging. And Harvard, Alan Dershowitz, who was a law professor at Harvard at the time, he got wind of this secret committee and uh, he, there's a quote that ended up in the New York Times that he said, isn't it interesting that a, at a place of esteemed higher learning such as Harvard, that angels are okay, but aliens are not? And he thought it was a travesty that John's academic freedom was being challenged. So that's a whole other sort of sub 
part to the film, you know, academic freedom. Indeed, um, angels or these yeah. uh, these visitors, maybe they're you know they're both they're talking about the same thing. You know, who knows when we uh, finally figure it all out. Uh, we'll uh, step away momentarily, come back. Denise David Williams from Make Magic Productions, hoping to immortalize the late Dr. John Mack in film. Victor Vigiani from Zeland Communications here in studio. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett, the website richardserrett.com, S-Y-R-E-T-T.com. And uh, Denise David Williams from Make Magic Productions is with us, and she's hoping to uh, to bring uh, the life, career, and uh, the life and times of the late Dr. John Mack to the big screen. Uh, Denise, this is a, 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 a. I know that crowdfunding plays a large part in um, the initial stages of this film. In in in, um, in in you know getting some some much needed capital. Tell us about how that's going. It's going well, and I would also ask your listeners to to go to johnmacmovie.com and check it out, and and uh, if they feel so moved to to make a contribution or at least you know send it along to their email list, because. What I found in uh, pitching it to several companies in Hollywood was that everyone kind of has their idea of how the story should be told. And I understand that. You know, I, I, I know that's the way it works. But <clears throat> I, I it's really my responsibility um, to ensure that the story is told <clears throat> in the way that really – you know, has integrity and is authentic and does justice to, to Dr. Mack. So what we decided to do was raise development money for the script, not for the whole film, just for the script, um, through Indiegogo.com. And uh, that's that's what the money is going to be used for, to hire a writer, to pay uh, development costs, and to, to develop a script so that we can then go back into mainstream Hollywood, have the picture financed fully, and have, you know, a, a big mainstream motion picture. Um, it's not that really unconventional what we're doing. Uh, it's just, you know, it's independent money. It's not at all. Independent in, in, money. In fact, there, yeah. there was an Academy Award-winning documentary uh, this year that I believe was funded um, uh, either Indiegogo or one of the crowdfunding uh, uh, websites. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Victor Vigiani, uh, jump in here. Yeah, I just wanted to um, broach the issue with you. You've, you've obviously got a lot of research in front of you to, to go through and uh, with the screenwriters and uh, the information that the Mac family's given you. Um, you, 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 will, you will come to know him through that and you've probably, you know, there are other ways that you've um, obviously gotten to know the man. Um, might there be, um, and I know the way John um, did express this whole idea of, of, of connected consciousness, that we're all in some way or another uh, connected in a, in a very subtle way. Are there other ways that you've gotten to know John Mack? Well, I've lived with this for seven years now. <laughs> so um, I, I feel a real kinship with John Mack. Um, I feel very protective of his legacy. I feel a love for him and a tremendous respect. And, um, you know, I will do everything that I possibly can to make sure that the story is, you know, done uh, does him justice and the subject matter justice. 
so um you know i I do feel close to him for you know when you're steeped in John Mack material for seven years, it's you know that's inevitable that that's going to happen is is there a mystery angle to this this film as well denise i'm I'm wondering about you know the the whoever these people were, whether it was Time magazine that pressured Harvard to essentially you know put him on trial um is it possible that those same individuals may have been responsible for his death? I know the official cause was, you know, he was hit by a drunk driver. But, you know, there are those uh, on, who live online who, who, who think that, that there may have been uh, uh, some nefarious hands at work here. Um, yeah, I know there are, and I'm not one of them. Uh, according to the official record and according to the, the, the Mac family, he was, you know, have you guys ever been in London and crossed oh, the yes, street and yes. got to look? Right. So, you know, it happens to the best of us. You look the wrong way, and that's what happened, and he was hit by a drunk driver. And um, so that is the official record. And um, so I, I don't personally uh, subscribe to the conspiracy theory. Had he, had he lived and continued his work at Harvard, what do you think... Ten years later, what, where would we be in terms of our understanding of of all that he was about, alien abductions and and and, uh, and so forth? Well, he had really moved on from the study of alien abduction after the whole Harvard thing. He was tired and and he found himself basically preaching to the choir. You know, he, he they had shut him down enough, so so. You know, he he kind of moved on. And what he was doing, well, he moved on, but he was still a changed man, and he was still, and and continued to study in the realm of metaphysics. So he was studying with a physicist uh, continued consciousness. In other words, what happens after we die? And so, you know, it, it falls under, a, you could say it falls under the same umbrella, uh, what is, you know, interdimensional, what, you know, what happens to us? Is there other life? It's all connected. So I think he would have he would have gone a lot further with that work. He was fascinated with that, um, and he was very, you know, very into it. Who do you have in mind for uh, Dr. John Mack? Who will play him? Wow. It really depends. And once we have a script in hand... It, it would become maybe more obvious. Um, Daniel Day-Lewis is always brilliant, and I think he seems to embody some of the John Mack, you know, heart and depth and intrigue. What about John Malkovich? Uh, he, who? John Malkovich. No. No, he's not right. All right. No, okay. There I am with my producer hat. <laughs> okay. All right. Victor, over to you, Victor. Actually, uh, when Richard when, no, it's a, when Richard said that, I, I just uh, I was watching a movie last night with John Malkovich in it, and 
I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I, I wanted to kind of um, throw something at you, too, in, in terms of it's similar to what um, Richard just asked you in terms of where we might be if John was still alive. Uh, did, he, did, he was involved in some sort of activism. Um, was it with Carl Sagan? I'm not quite sure. In, with, with, a, with the nuclear issue, he did some sort of march or whatever. I, I remember reading something about that. But would you character... Oh, yeah, that was early. Yeah, early. yeah long, long before he got involved here. Yeah. Would you categorize him or would you place him uh, in, in the mode of an activist or, or, or something different? I know there's a lot of people who are involved in this issue right now in disclosure and wanting the government to, to come forward and, and all of that. Would you, cons- would you um, uh, portray him as an activist? Or could, could he have been an activist if, if things had have gone well, another uh, way? Early on in his life, he was clearly an activist, and his family participated with him. They were they were at the Nevada uh, anti nuclear test site. They were protesting. Uh, his kids were there. His wife was there. They got arrested. It was a you know a whole big thing. He didn't get arrested. He paid the fine. Um, but um, so yeah, he he was clearly an activist. And you could say that he was an activist for abductees, too. In in terms of all of that, I I think, you know, when when you get deeper inside this issue, not just the abduction issue, but the whole idea of, you know, we're not alone and and, and the government, the way they're handling the whole issue, it gets inside of you to a point where you have to do something about it. And um, in in my discussions with him and uh, watching him and listening to him uh, talk to Bud Hopkins in their their dialogue in Boston, I think it was in 96 or 97 when they met uh, on stage to talk about the whole... uh, contrasting views john struck struck me as um almost becoming frustrated with with the the, the lack of um, of movement towards understanding all of that uh, do you think that frustration w- would have led him to become more prominent and and demanding from his position as a you know in in, in cambridge uh, do you think he would have done that become more vocal um in, in a more public manner no because i remember that that uh, debate, by the way, and it was very contentious between Bud and John. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think he had reached, he had done everything that he could do. That's why I feel like we're picking up the torch and carrying on for him. Mm-hmm. There, you know, he did he did his part. That's how I see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He kicked the ball way down the road, and now did. we're going to, you know, continue on. Victor was hinting at earlier, uh, Denise, about some of the the, the pressure that was brought to bear on, on Dr. Mack and some of the forces that were at work, uh, that, you know, maybe he was perceived as a threat, this information. Uh, and, and we talk a lot about that on this program, uh, this, uh, you know, this uh, truth embargo. Uh, I'm wondering uh, whether you think those same forces might make it difficult for this film to get made the way that you want it to get made. No, I don't think so. This film is going to get made. There is no doubt in my mind. Everything that we've needed so far has fallen into place. So I am, I'm not concerned about that in the least. Human beings, generally speaking, do not like change, right? I mean, we are all very resistant to change. And Harvard, as an institution, uh, and represents a certain worldview, was uh, the epitome of that. It's, it's, although it's this esteemed place of higher learning, it did not want to have to stretch into what John Mack was asking of them. It, 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 so I don't think it was as much a, you know, a 
evil conspiracy thing as resisting what is, resisting the status quo. You know, it didn't, it just, it resisted change. And the change was that John Mack was asking for was very frightening. I mean, it, it, it takes the foundation out from our very world, our very idea of, you know, of how we live. So I think it was more fear and uh, of change and um, of, of, you know, it, it, John was asking a lot. I'll and, say, I'll uh, say, yes. Listen, we're, we're just about out of time it. here. Uh, very quickly, uh, in your, uh, your, your best case scenario, when do you expect to see the John, Dr. John Mack story up on the big screen? Well, we're going to spend the next three to four or five months developing the script, and then we'll be off and running. I mean, uh, I just envision people tripping over themselves to want to be involved in this project because the, the projects like this don't come along very often. All right. Leave, leave us with a website, Denise. Uh, JohnMacMovie.com. JohnMacMovie.com. Okay. Movie.com. Or Make Magic. Make Go Magic. Make Magic Productions. Make Magic Productions. All right. Thank you so much, uh-huh. Denise. I've enjoyed this conversation. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. Denise David-Williams, Make Magic Productions. Victor Vigiani, always a pleasure. Thank you. It has been a pleasure. Opening these doors is always um, a favorite of mine with you. All right, my friend. Hey, just a quick reminder. November the 16th, that's a Sunday, an all-day event, Regent Theatre in Oshawa. I'm bringing six amazing speakers to town. It's called Follow the Truth, the Conspiracy Show Summit. More information, www.followthetruth.tv. Call the box office, 905-721-9900. 905 